podcast was recorded on 8 May at 10 a.m. Jakarta time. Things may have changed by the time you hear this. Enjoy this program. Welcome back to Reformacy Dispatch. I'm Jeff Hutton, the regional correspondent for The Straits Times of Singapore. And I'm Kevin O'Rourke, writer of the Reformacy Weekly Service on Indonesian politics and policymaking. Were you up late watching the coronation there, Kevin? Did you, did, did you find, are no. you miss a deadline? I think we should probably- I thought tell, I would read about it. I think we should probably tell uh, everyone that there's not going to be a newsletter this week because, frankly, you got caught up in the coronation, didn't you? <laughs> Sorry, everyone. <laughs> uh, did, you, you, did you not see any of it? Um, yeah, I, I respect it. I admire it. And, uh, but I, I don't actually follow it. No. Not many people do. He looks a little bit like a rabbit caught in headlights. Um, but I, I admit to coming across it on the New York Times website. It was playing like, oh, and I got drawn in. I mean, it's spectacle. And you can, when you're watching it at a warung on, on the, on the beach, on, from your from your Mac, even then it's like wow, so much country. So you can see what coronations are all about. The, the telegraphing of power. The I am I am the one. It's quite a spectacle, even in 2023. The guy who talks to plants. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. No, it's uh, yeah. There's something innately human about coronation and uh, firing awe in political leadership. That's a trait that you see all over the place, and so. And there's a segue here into what we're talking about, the Indonesian presidential election. <laughs> Somewhere, I'm not going to strain it too much, but um, there are some polls that say that there is a would-be, uh, a, a, a would-be president, could be Prabowo. The coronation in February might be Prabowo Subianto. He's pulling ahead. Is that uh, yeah, is that's a- taken seriously? Thoughts? Yeah, this is a good poll. Uh- the, the polling was done during the second week of April, uh, from 11 to 17 April. And that, if you remember, was uh, a period of doldrums for uh, Ganjar. Uh, that time, Megawati had not made her endorsement. That happened a few days after the polling period on 21 April. So I think uh, respondents in that poll were uh, increasingly not regarding Ganjar as a uh, presidential contender. And meanwhile, Prabowo was getting lots of good press from accompanying Widodo here, there, uh, and everywhere, sort of basking in the president's glow. This poll, by the way, also showed that uh, Widodo's job approval rating is 79%, uh, an all-time high, just uh, flabbergastingly high. Okay, i got to stop you right there. Did you say 79%? 78.5. I rounded up, but... um, All right, 78.5. Well, that, that I understand. Yeah. Um, so, um, okay. I read through that and um, I wanted to ask you, have you ever seen an approval rating like that for a sitting president like months or, you know, at, at, at the end of their tenure? Like, well, uh, I mean, have you seen for, this before? In the U.S.? No. Uh, in Indonesia, there is a tendency for presidents to have high approval ratings. I think uh, that's sort of my impression. Um, now, even SPY, I thought that they kind of like to see him go. Mm, well, he, he did drift down a bit towards the end, yeah, because he was just plastered by corruption scandals that the KPK exposed. But uh, throughout most of his presidency, he was uh, well above sixty percent. I want to say, um, but you know, there's various explanations for that. And but in, in any event, um, yeah. No one has gotten up to these uh, precipitous heights. They're high, but not ne- necessarily this high. Now, does that reflect? So, I don't want this to be a sort of about Ludodo, but at seventy nine percent, seventy point five, does that reflect just that he's a whiz bang president and that the state of affairs are peachy keen, or just a lack of opposition? I think it reflects the price of coal. I think it reflects the price of coal. Go on. <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> coal. Okay. Wait, coal? I thought that was like that very 19th century. We're all about solar power now. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, 
You know, the uh, the driver of exports uh, nowadays is coal, and uh, the price is uh, still just exorbitantly high. And uh, Indonesia is the world's largest coal exporter, and uh, that filters down. I mean, a lot of the those profits stay offshore, of course, but some filter through the economy one way or another. Um, and this is happening not just for coal, but for other minerals and palm oil and uh, commodities. And then, of course, as we've talked about, the manufactured exports are strong right now too. So. Uh, thus far, despite the global headwinds, the economy is performing pretty well. Uh, there's a bit of inflation, but it's not terrible. Uh, interest rates are a bit higher, but that doesn't really hurt people too much in Indonesia typically. So I think this is the, the factor which is explaining the, the really high approval for Widodo right now. Um, certainly not you know, his scorecard with regard to governance and democratization. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's not as bad as it could have been, but certainly hasn't lived up to promises. And we'll leave that episode for another day. But uh, needless to say, this guy with a very sky-high approval ratings um, that seemed to be pretty legit uh, would pretend well for, uh, for Gondra Pernod. But he's lagging in the pools, or is he catching up now that he's got uh, Megawati's back? Yeah. Yeah, it's going to portend well for whomever Widodo anoints. And Wait, what? That <laughs> should be Ganjar. We, we, we would have expected it would be Ganjar. But what this latest poll from Indicator Politic is showing is that at the time the polling happened in April, it was Prabowo who was getting the joy from Widodo. And so I think um, that boosted him a bit. So that poll showed Prabowo at 47% in a head-to-head runoff scenario against Ganjar who had 40%. So it was a seven percentage point lead uh, with uh, 13% uh, undecided. And so that's a reversal from where they stood in February when Ganjar had a seven percentage point lead over Prabowo at that time in an indicator poll. And these are in-person polls, by the way. So that, that was, that was, that, that's a lot of movement uh, in the space of, uh, what's that? Yeah, three, two, two or three months there. Um, since then, though, yeah, there, there are these uh, telephone polls that have come out, three of them, in fact, and they show a, a much tighter uh, race with a, basically a virtual tie between the two and a, a head-to-head runoff scenario. But those are telephone polls that only capture part of the population, the bulk of the population, but not really uh, a pure representative sample of the uh, electorate. So they're, they're calling, they're sending text messages on people's WhatsApp numbers or something like that, and getting them to answer questions or that. I, I don't. I don't. Um, I, I think they're, they're dialing. Uh, no, no, these are cell phones, so they, they have databases of uh, cell phone numbers, and they call them up, and people actually answer the phone and agree to talk. <laughs> yeah, um, we were talking about that with Seth, right? Seth Soderbergh, and how how just incredibly, you know, this 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 is the place where you want to be a pollster. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and the people want to talk on the telephone. Yeah, <laughs> hey, the in-person pollers they go up to a house and knock on the door and say, "Hi, can I talk to you for an hour about politics?" And the person says, "Okay." <laughs> Would you like some tea? <laughs> yeah. So it, yeah, it's uh, it's a dynamic race right now. It's really a lot of movement. Uh, Anis uh, Baswedan is a, in a distinct uh, third position. You know, quite a ways back from the top two. But uh, Ridwan Kamiel is within reach in fourth. Um, so uh, there's been a lot of a static uh, lack of movement for many months now, but uh, things are, are becoming more fluid. What's shaping up to be some of the narratives? Um, you know, well, that's, yeah. That, that, right. Sorry, go ahead. That's what's interesting, yeah, because uh, until now, there, there haven't been any narratives because there haven't been any candidates. Uh, and still, these parties are not really aligned. Uh, there's still lots of questions about which precise party is going to go with which nominee and so on. But with Ganjar having been endorsed by Megawati, now it's pretty clear that there's going to be at least those three, Ganjar, Prabowo, and Aswedan running. Mm-hmm. Maybe Ridwan Kamil could get a nomination. But um, which parties line up with which ones now at this stage doesn't really matter all that much, I don't think. Um, and then as for the vice presidential nominees, they, it's just too premature to talk about that because that's going to depend on how the parties line up. And it's part and parcel of that process. So that's going to be still a while yet. But in the meantime, these candidates are out there um, trying to elevate their profiles and doing a lot of talking. At least um, Basuedan is and has been for months. 
and Ganjar is doing that now too. So um, interesting to see what they're talking about, especially uh, on the part of Basueda. Mm. Uh, he's uh, bringing up complaints about uh, government meddling, interference in the electoral process. With some justification, uh, I'm sure he's referring to KPK, Bahuri's uh, threats of an indictment or misusing, yeah. you know. I mean, I, yeah. part of me agrees with Bahuri, frankly. I don't, I think it was a stupid use of funds, but uh, you don't go to jail for poor judgment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but also the uh, Moldoko attempts to take over a Democrat, which oh, is right. actually part of it on needs. What that? <laughs> Yeah. Oh, so man. there's a real narrative there. It's it's fodder for use by the opposition, which is Basuedan and Democrat and August Udiono. August Udiono has raised these points too. None of them are really uh, hammering them home effectively yet, but they're getting there. Is, is it resonating? Um, co-opting of opposition parties, either through coercion or through carrots, does that resonate with the public? Do they care? People care? Yeah, if people who understand the circumstances uh, would and do care, yes. Uh, problem is, uh, it's all kind of technical and yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. So it's not well understood at, at this point, and that's by design too. And, and this is something that the perpetrators know, and, and they're getting away with it precisely because they can, because they, they, they lack the scrutiny that they should be under. So, uh, but were the KPK to put handcuffs on Basuedan, then it'd be a whole new ballgame. I'm curious what you think. Would that help or hurt? I think it would help Basuedan. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it would be a gigantic uh, backfire for Widodo and for the candidates aligned with Widodo and Jaram Prabowo. It would be a huge own goal it would be a massive overstep and just an opening um like we've which you've never seen i'm thinking um i'm struggling with a little bit of um depression here now uh, do i have to interview Prabo again um i thought he was no. i don't i can't i can't do it again i want i, I want everyone I, I encourage um listeners to google Kate Lamb, The Guardian, Prabowo Subianto, and Aircraft. And in it is a 2019 piece. It is brilliant. I love Katie so much. Um, yeah. The, I, I think she's marooned in Sydney because she... No, uh, no, no. There's a, there's a, new, there's a new, director general, new director general of immigration who's quite good. Uh, uh, she back? Because she said things about Papua. Pop, she Oprah. has it. She's back. Yeah, she's working. Yes. Mm -hmm. Good. Katie, welcome back. We'll get you on the program. Um, but so Kate Lamb wrote this story about how Paul slammed the, the saucer down when she asked him about his, his uh, checkered record and comes to diplomacy. I'm, he said, I'm not afraid of white people. And I'm oh, sweetie, I feel your pain. And I just, I have no intention of interviewing this man. I don't know where I don't know where that rage comes from, but it is the point of it is frightening. Good honor for there's a photo, <laughs> you know, sit, sitting yeah. opposite of the two. You should and on, a, on, a, on an airplane, right? Yeah, somewhere over the Java Sea <laughs> at altitude. Yeah, I'm not afraid <laughs> of white people. Don't you lecture me about democracy? And I would have nothing. You're, you're the one that put. Are you kidding? I'm asking. This is your I'd response. Be for, You've had years to work on for this. A You've had years to work on this response. And this is your plan. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But anyway, anyway uh, you, so uh, just to uh, bring us back here, um, it was interesting what happened last week was, uh, you know, Widodo assembled these party chairs at the palace uh, for a, a grand strategy meeting. And Prabowo uh, emerged afterwards and denied that there was any talk of politics. Instead, he talked right. about how Indonesia is likely to be the fourth largest economy in the world, which really requires some creative use of spreadsheets to get to that. <laughs> oh, <laughs> but, yeah. 
But anyway, then Widodo came out uh, a couple of days later in the week and said, oh, yeah, of course we talked about politics. And, uh, you know, we were talking about grand strategy and uh, we're talking about vice presidential picks for Ganjar. And so it was really kind of a expose of Provoa there. But um, I think the, the whole purpose of this grand meeting at the palace was Widodo attempting to forge some unanimity among the, the pro-Widodo parties. He doesn't want to see his alliance split apart into two groups of Ganjar group and a Prabowo group, but there's no way around it. The, the two cannot be reconciled. Uh, neither one is going to submit to a vice presidential role. And what was really telling in this meeting was that it went on for two hours and 40 minutes. And the first one out was Megawati. And she came out, smiled at the reporters who had been waiting outside the palace for two hours and 40 minutes and got in her car and left. The other five party chairs came out and did a joint press conference. So that kind of indicates that Megawati is the one who has a party that already passes the nominating threshold. She already has her candidates. She knows what she's doing. She doesn't really care what these other parties want to talk about. Uh, so, yeah, them persuading Ganjar to be the running mate to Prabowo is not on the cards. Uh, vice versa, I really don't see Prabowo taking the, the backseat to Ganjar, especially when Indicator Politic has him leading um, in April in the head-to-head. I, I could totally see Megawati saying, Girl, bye. I'm. I've, I got places to yeah. go. I mean, I. I don't need all y'all. I, yeah. I'm surprised she's there for two hours and forty minutes. Um, just going through your little chart here, and you've got uh, Megawati, Armando, Jaime, Iskandar, and Marcano. Six. Now, yeah. isn't this a little bit like Joe Coey trying to hold the ocean back with a broom? I mean, eventually, yeah. this coalition is there's a there's a sell by date, and it will splinter. Why is he trying to hold on with it with both hands? I mean, it's it's going to die. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, I mean, as we've seen, there's just an incredible degree of desperation to avoid any risk of uh, a hostile successor administration taking over. And so trying to um, put together a, a mammoth, uh, overwhelming alliance against Beswedan, uh, is one way, and then that, that hasn't worked. Going back further, of course, yeah, there was removing term limits or, or extending the terms or amending the Constitution, and all these things have failed. Uh, putting together a mammoth alliance against Beswedan is failing. So now I think what they're trying to do is recruit or invite or persuade Beswedan to be the running mate of Prabowo. And um, that would require some heavy leverage, um, which they may be able to apply. So, but uh, I don't think that's going to happen. Seems really inappropriate. What with, Oh, I don't know. It's not his party and he's already got a nominee. I, I, isn't this when he should be attending big international events and trying to become the secretary general of the UN? I mean, why, why isn't Odo thinking like that? You know, come, come, you know, start a podcast. You can come to us and start a podcast. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, it's it's uh, yeah, it's, it's sort of uh, kind it's of. It's his dynasty, right? Like, he's protecting his dynasty. It's all about Gibran. Oh, uh, yes, but there's more at stake than that too. I mean, there's a whole coterie of interests around the president, of which is his is his family. He's yeah, his family, family interests and their and his and his allies. Yeah, the allies. You know, there's. Coordinating Minister Luhut has uh, conflicts of interest in business, and uh, Presidential Chief of Staff Moldoko has uh, agendas. Do the knives come out after you leave office? I mean, is that a thing in Indonesia? Yeah. Once you lose power, yeah. you are, uh, you know, you're you're vulnerable to the wolves. Right. Yeah. The uh, script with which everybody is familiar is the Hambalong episode, whereby. Yeah, uh, sports. A, a raft of senior Udiono administration people went to jail because of markups on a giant sports center infrastructure development. And uh, Baswedan has said that it's necessary to audit the spending to date on the new capital project, New Centara, and that is really ruffling feathers. Oh. Mm. A little bit of a parallel there. Hambalong right. <laughs> was not a parallel. <laughs> yeah, Hambalong was a little bit beyond the pale, but you can't tell me there's no, there's got to be two or three Hambalongs going on in uh, New Centara. 
Dari Malut Gumalut is a weekly newsletter that has brought the best in news and analysis in Southeast Asia to thousands of inboxes for six years. Home to more than half a billion people and an emerging economic powerhouse, knowing the region is only getting more important. Dari Malut Gumalut helps you get across it. I love this newsletter and I, I love Aaron. I love her passion and purpose for writing it. She's been doing this for a while now and it really comes across. She's just very committed, enthusiastic about the news and events here. I highly recommend this to anyone. Now, Reformasi fans have 25% off for the first year with any new annual subscription. Just head to dadimalut.substack.com slash Reformasi. I'll say that again. It's dadimalut.substack.com slash Reformasi. Hello, Seth Soderbergh. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for the invitation. Hey, Seth. Yeah, great to have you. Seth, we're here with uh, Seth Soderbergh, a uh, PhD candidate, um, soon to be minted with a PhD from Harvard University, and also a veteran expert on Indonesian polling who's engaged with uh, various polling firms on an academic basis in Jakarta. Um, so it's good to have you here. So. Start us off, Seth. What, what's what's your take on the race to date? What's wh- where do you see the polls right now? There's been a, a few different polls. There's been in-person polls, telephone polls. Uh, uh, you, what what are the standings right now? You know that, that you're observing. So I I think the, the way I, I look at the kind of dynamics in the race right now is that over the past couple of months, there's been a really to me, quite dramatic reversal of, of fortunes uh, for Prabowo specifically. So in the last, uh, basically since December, Prabowo has gone from consistent third place, kind of a laggard, to frequently either first or second of the three names. So the main tracking question at this point in the race is a three-name question with Ganjar, uh, Pranowo, Anis Baswedan, and Prabowo Subianto. And at this point, depending on the poll and the month, generally Ganjar or Prabowo is the most chosen name. And they're usually very much within the margin of error for each other. And Anis is increasingly in third place. Now, Prabowo's improvement from kind of third place to maybe first, maybe second, but much more importantly, sort of tied with Ganjar has happened over about six months. Um, Anis's deterioration has also happened over about the same time frame. Right. So that's kind okay, of where and, I look uh, at things now between the three candidates. Yeah. Yeah. The um, latest publicly available in-person poll I've seen was from Indicator Politik from the second. It was done during the second week uh-huh. of April. And more recent telephone surveys done by Charta Politik and SMRC Saiful Mojani. Um, so. You know, first of all, I guess uh, these telephone polls, we've talked about this in the past, uh, they seem to be becoming more prevalent now. Do you see their reliability improving? So the telephone polls, yeah. So just a little bit of background on the telephone polls. They were almost never done prior to 2020. Uh, they were occasionally done like by academics on a, a limited budget, but for for presidential election purposes, they were pretty much never done. And the reason for that is they are challenging to to use accurately in Indonesia. Since the pandemic, that's actually when they started. And uh, interestingly, uh, I was involved in, I think, Indicator's first telephone survey, uh, which was an academic study related to COVID. Since that study, they've they've kind of developed two different ways of doing telephone polls. And one of them, and the Charta poll from earlier this month is a good example. Uh, One of them is to call people who've been surveyed in the past. So all of these polling firms, you know, over the, in some cases, 15 years, they've been in operation. They've got hundreds of thousands of, of phone numbers because one of the things they ask for is a phone number. And the reason they do that is because they need the phone number for quality control because and this is sort of a sidebar in methodology, but in the well-run polls, 20% roughly of the respondents who meet someone face-to-face get a call back from like an area coordinator who says, 
did you, you know, we have a record that says you responded to this poll. Is that true? Uh, it's part of how they catch uh, enumerators who occasionally are like making up responses. So they have all these phone numbers and, um, in the early phone polls in particular, sample from that body of people who have responded to surveys in the past. But if you think about it for a little while, you realize like that has some limitations. And especially if you think people who respond to polls could be different from other people, then that in particular is a source of bias in the poll. The other way now that polls get done <clears throat> is through what's called random digit dialing. And that is exactly what it sounds like. They use a little computer program that just randomly generates what might be valid phone numbers. Like they have the right number of digits and they just call that number and they keep doing that until someone picks up the phone. Uh, well, first until it rings, because most of those numbers are not valid phone numbers, like with a person attached to them. Um, okay. But more and more of the surveys are being done that way through random digit dialing. And then there's like a, there's a step where they ask some questions about the demographics of the person. And depending on whether there are a lot of people or not with the specific demographics of the person they've called, they might continue the poll or they might say, oh, sorry, like we already have enough people like you. We don't need to continue the survey. And those are becoming a lot more common. And I think those are a better uh, methodology for something like a presidential tracking poll, but they still have many okay. of the limitations of a phone poll. Right. I mean, polling has tended to be a very expensive and drawn out process. And some of the benefits are that uh, it, um, in, in Indonesia, um, respondents love to respond and will, right. and will talk, talk a glass eye to sleep. And I'm wondering... <laughs> This this approach, this this random uh, dialing approach, feels like it's a more more efficient. You can catch more fish this way, uh, but does it skew in any way? Um, and I guess the the natural thing that springs to mind is you know, it gets people who have phones, and that of course is a certain social demographic, people who might have the pulse and all, all that sort of stuff. People have a phone in in particular anyway. Are you finding that it's skewing and muddying up the the results and? Are the pollsters uh, taking adequate measures to uh, to account for that? Uh, absolutely. There are pretty specific and um, I think well understood, but hard to fix biases in the phone surveys. And there, many of them come from exactly what you've described. They're either coming from who has or doesn't have phones. And a second layer of that is who answers and doesn't answer phone calls from an unknown number. So we see, and a good example of this, uh, actually, Kevin, you mentioned the chart. They include a phone poll in their time series, which is mostly face-to-face -face polls. The numbers are quite different. Um, I believe they tend to favor Proboo and like not be good for Anis in, in a way that kind of breaks the trend. And to me, that's a sign that phone polls, you know, I don't know what kind of um, corrections Charta is applying, but at least their phone polls seem to have a lean. And it, it's, it's very consistent with what we know about the different candidates' voters, that there would be these kinds of biases introduced in a phone poll that might not be present in a face-to-face -face poll. Can I uh, follow up then with my big question there, Seth? Has PDIP left it too late for Ganjar, you know, we've got a, we've got a few months. We've got nine or 10 months left to go to the election. It's a big country. Uh, he doesn't have the profile that Prabowo does or Anis does for that matter. Um, there was a waiting game that ended, uh, at, at, uh, Edel Fitri. Um, does he have time to make up, uh, the, the gap between him and Prabowo? Yeah. So this is, I think, uh, where it's, it's helpful to think about what the calculations have been to this point. So I am in a camp that thinks that a lot of the drama around PDIP nominating Ganjar was, was very deliberately designed to delay, that uh, they didn't want him nominated until a bit closer to the election than certainly like six months ago when they could have done the nomination. Um, 
So I don't think it's too late. I do suspect that they're a little bit annoyed by Prabowo's numbers jumping up the way they have. But I think 10 months is a long time. If we compare this to 2014, you know, it wasn't, I don't think it was at all clear that Jokowi would even be running for president at 10 months before the election. It was a possibility, but it wasn't, I don't think it was set at that point. So he's got time. And I remember last time I came on, I was, one of the things I think I mentioned was how Ganjar had a lot of room to grow because his awareness levels. So the people who say in the survey, you know, I've heard of this guy, they were low. They were at that time around 65%. They're still only around 80%. And one thing that really stood out to me in one of the more recent LSI releases was that Gunjar's awareness level was 83%, which is still 10% below Anis and 15% below Prabowo. Um, and in a lot of surveys, both Anis and Prabowo have close to 100% awareness ratings. What's interesting is that Ganjar has equal, like almost equal likability and awareness ratings. And most candidates don't. Certainly Prabowo doesn't, Anis don't. Um, oh, wait, so does that mean so that this, when, they get, when they know of the guy, they like him? Exactly. That's exactly what that means. So it's, it's, it's very close in that LSI survey. I think in some of the other ones, it's not quite everyone, but like his likability level is almost equal to his awareness level. And you don't have to make very strong assumptions to say, well, as the campaign gets going, eventually everyone will have heard of him. Uh, and this level of right, high likability among people who know him is a sign that he'll get votes from he still has room to grow hmm. but seth was it like was that high likability was that before ganjar came out and tried to end the sport of football <laughs> um that poll that lsi survey was kind of in the middle of that actually hmm. um but yeah this is i think this is the other thing is is so a lot of the most recently available public polls were conducted in the middle of the Israel football situation, which was the first time Ganjar's had at a national level, a lot of negative press. It's a much bigger yeah. story than um, the Wadas project. Yeah. And it was very clear in the polls that he dropped uh, during that period. Um, yeah. Has he recovered? Has, he has, uh, although um, not every like survey is out, but um, I believe in. I'm not well. I, I've seen some not public surveys, but um, that that like are in preparation. Yeah, but, can you tell um, us about those? <laughs> well, I, I can just say like um, <laughs> those are the ones I, we I, want I, to know about. I, mostly. I, I'm <laughs> those look the same. Uh, it's just that uh, a few of those are newer, and there's a in quite a few of the time series. There's a dip. And he recovers roughly back to his average. I look at them and think it's the Israel football thing. Could also be statistical noise. And did he did he get a boost from Megawati endorsing him? Uh, yeah. So I think uh, it's it looks like there's a there's a there's a boost from that. Um, okay. And it'll be clear to but 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 Prabowo is also doing really well in pretty much every poll. Um, so on the question of kind of which of the two is ahead, unclear, kind of depends on exactly which one you're looking at. They're within the margin of error for the most part. Um, Anis is the one who's really struggling. Yeah, okay. Well, on Prabowo, can you parse out reasons for his strength? Yeah, and uh, reasons for Anis's weakness. So Prabowo's strength if you look back over the time series of polls and ask the question like, well, when does the upward trend start? Because a, a good thing to, to remember about the dynamics of this race is Prabowo started strong. He started in first place, but it was also a period of pretty high um, non, not non-response, but people saying, I don't know. And over time, so this is over the course of 2022, he was in a, a pretty much a secular decline. Uh, and then in late 2022, 
Um, depending on the survey firm, you see it in November or you see it in December, but there's a point where Reboa starts improving and starts to cross Anis. And that roughly coincides with the period where Jokowi became much more explicit about his support for Reboa. So I attribute a, a lot of his strength to a high baseline. You know, he is the most well-known politician in the country after Jokowi and has been for 10 years. He has a lot of supporters intrinsically, but he also is an appealing candidate to many people who don't want Anis to be president. And one of the things that you can see in the trends is that Anis and Prabowo move kind of inversely. And that's because big parts of Prabowo's base in 2019 are Anis's base now. But um. there, there are types of people who are Prabowo people, not Anis people. And that gets into like what these candidates represent. Um, once Jokowi was explicit about endorsing and supporting, right? I maybe shouldn't use exactly the word endorse, but once he was explicit that Prabowo is one of the two candidates I favor, um, that got a lot of press and that gave a chunk of people who don't necessarily like Prabowo himself, but like Jokowi, it gave them a reason to choose Prabowo. Um, so that's so his strength and Anis's weakness are related to each other. Yeah, which is interesting. But ultimately, if we make the assumption that it's going to be a second round runoff between Ganjar and Prabowo, I guess that's the scenario that matters most. Yeah, I mean, we should keep some perspective and, and remember that, like, if if we were talking six months ago, we would have been asking, what does a Ganjar Anis runoff look like? Um, and I think these, these trends, because it's still nine months until the election, uh, you know, these trends do shift, but, um, in a Prabowo runoff. So if some of the, the surveyors have started releasing these, uh, two name simulations in the head to heads, Prabowo handily beats Anis, which he has in most most times that question has been asked since like 2021, even in a two name simulation, there's been a lot of back and forth between Ganjar and Prabowo. So until Prabowo's like numbers started to improve, actually not even, I'm, I'm looking at the time series now, there've been a couple of recent surveys where in a two name simulation, Prabowo beats Ganjar. And that was also true in the early parts of 2022. For most of last year and the first quarter of this year, Ganjar was ahead in those two name simulations. So I think we're going to see a lot of press saying maybe Prabowo is like a lock to win the runoff against Ganjar. Um, I don't think that is an accurate, uh, I don't think that's a great prediction to make because there's been so much fluctuation and Ganjar is still at only 80% awareness. Um, I think a lot will depend between those two on which one's going to get Jokowi's like most formal endorsement in the second round, if any of them do. So I wouldn't put it past Jokowi to like play both sides until the very last day. Uh, okay. Can, can, can we just set aside? I mean, I, I just want to sort of round off this, this outstanding point, the possibility of a, of a fourth candidate. Is, is that at all uh, a scenario. I mean, is there still like a, a Ridwan Camille uh, sh uh, showing up out of the uh, from uh, as as a dark horse in this? So this is this is a great question because so I don't think it would be Ridwan Camille specifically, in part because a lot of people are obsessed with making him their vice presidential candidate. But a dark horse candidacy, fourth fourth candidacy, is quite possible, and I think the reasons what w it would come out of the coalition upheaval that has started since the official endorsement of Ganjar by Petiga, which also happened, right? So once Pe so a lot of things have been kind of set in motion in the last two weeks, starting with that official endorsement. Uh, because Petiga joined PDIP in endorsing Ganjar, that 
Ka'i Bay coalition of, of Golkar, Pan, and Petiga is a, is, base, is a dead letter. And Golkar and Pan are looking for someone. Um, Peka Bay is not happy with Garindra. Democrat, it's unclear you know, how firm their commitment to Anis is. If there were a fourth a candidate, it would be, I think, a play by someone like Ayrlanga. And I think Ayrlanga is a more likely fourth candidate. It would be a way to delay having to pick someone. Um, and there's a few, there are actually quite a few combinations of parties that are capable of meeting the nomination threshold. So I think a fourth candidacy has become a live possibility again, but the purpose of it wouldn't be to win. The purpose of it would be to create leverage uh, in a second round to say, you know, we've got a bunch of parties behind us. What are you going to offer us to back you in the second round? Holy Game of Thrones. Wow. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Plot twist. And if the KPK arrests Baswedan, what does that do to the uh, picture? Um, I think it's really unclear what it does. Um, I don't think that would be a good thing. You know, some of that's just my opinion. I don't appreciate personally the politicization and the use of a bunch of state, um, various state organs to harass parties. Um, and I don't think. Uh, any of the likely KPK actions uh, against Anis Baswedan would be done in good faith. Um, so I personally find it distasteful. I don't think it's clear what would happen if it were done. I think it's possible that it would harm him because people would hear KPK. I think it's also quite possible that the media would be very hostile and people would pretty quickly, uh, right, it would, it would um, backfire or... Yeah the Joko administration, but I don't know which of those two is a more likely scenario. Mm. Yeah. What's driving the, the issues? You know, corruption has in the past, uh, the, the economy, inflation. Uh, these seem to be less of an issue. I mean, they're never, go they're never going away. What, in your view, is uh, driving the show? So issues-wise, it's, it's hard to register kind of like issues that are like live issues that are driving the electoral dynamics. Certainly when you poll things like, what are you worried about? The same things are always coming up. Corruption, the economy or workforce, like um, access to jobs, right? These are kind of like the three things that in almost every survey come up. Um, and there's no sign that like any candidate um, has an advantage on them. But, and I think you were, you sent over one of these questions, like one of the issues I think is, is yeah, do you like Jokowi or not? And Jokowi's approval, of course, is at 80%. And so there's, you know, two of the candidates are trying to position themselves as successors to Jokowi. So, so that's definitely one of the things that's driving Ganjar and Prabowo's decision-making is how to sell the idea that they're, uh, the successor and the idea that if you like Jokowi, you should vote for me. I think the other underlying issue, but I've noticed the other underlying issue is, is, is religious. It's about what Anis specifically represents, the role of Islamic conservatism in society. And one thing that's very interesting about the race is Anis very deliberately doesn't want to talk about that stuff. Right. He's been attempting to change his image, to moderate his image. He's been working at that for six years. And so it's very much present, but it's not talked about in the ways that I would have expected it to be. In a second round with Anis, I think we'd hear a lot about the threat of, of Islamic extremism from whoever he was running against. It's not like his previous opponent went to jail for blasphemy <laughs> or anything like that. That that never happened. No, right. no, for sure. Or you, you know, took meetings with Islamic hardliners, and um, yeah, I, there, there's a little bit of a karma coming back to bite you, and it's, uh, that's it's the Schadenfreude is running thick and fast, and I love Schadenfreude. And Jeff, that's that's like exactly what's happened. So because this, you know, the this. Um, I don't know if you've ever read Anis's scholarship, but he was a pretty good scholar before he 
um, really got into politics. And he wrote these excellent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I, I've interviewed him several times. I mean, he's, he's very coherent, and I've, I, I enjoy talking to him as an intellectual. But holy cow, uh, he works the angles right, and uh, he, he's got some baggage. And frankly, here I am. Yeah, well, risk editorializing. He owns yeah. it. And then also, in, also in his campaign appearances, I've noticed that what he does, uh, as Jeff would say, is uh, bores a glass eye to sleep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's, it's, it's a Canadian term. term. <laughs> Something wealth. Yeah. Look, I gotta, I gotta ask you, Harvard scholars, what's that? Where you um, look at an ink blot and you make an interpretation of what it looks like? <laughs> yeah, like it's a Warshots test, or I keep, yeah. I, I, I keep forgetting who. <laughs> but it's kind of like so. The the fact that Proboo could set himself up as the successor to Wododo presidency. Or Ganjar can set himself up as a success. It's almost like there are there are different definitions of the Wadodo presidency that could, that depending on how you look at it, would mean that there's a very different successor. I mean, you can't get two different more two more different guys than Prabhu and uh, and Ganjar. I mean, <laughs> isn't it? It's almost, it is very much a statement of, 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 uh, Wododo himself. He is who you want him to be. And you can project onto him what you want. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, I, Jeff, I think that's like a very important, like, thing to, to understand about, like, what Jokui has come to symbolize, right? That he's, that there's a lot of different aspects of his, his presidency. And I think there's, there's room in an 80% approval rating for two candidates to try to run on it. I think the other thing that it's reminding us about, and this gets into this question of like the religion versus nationalism frame that is very old in analyzing Indonesian politics, I think still has a lot of life in it though, which is there've always been two strains to the nationalism side. One of my colleagues uh, kind of flippantly calls them the like pluralist and the fascist nationalist side. And I wouldn't go so far if I were trying to accurately characterize like what Garindra stands for. But the point is that there's a kind of PDIP Sukarnoite tradition of nationalism. And then there's a, a more authoritarian tradition that also values the nationalist kind of project of Indonesia. And the nationalist project is explicitly against certain kinds of, of religious politics. And so we're almost getting like a race between someone who is attempting to embody the conservative religious side, another person who's trying to take the conservative nationalist like position and widen it just enough to get over the edge. That's, that's Prabowo. And then we've got Ganja running as like the true inheritor to like the Sukarnavite vision of nationalism. So there's, I don't know, there's something very um, classical about this to me. Um, but I think the the previous race, because Prabowo's alliance was with Islamists and with the conservative religious side, it kind of obscured that the conservative nationalism has always been like a separate thing from the Sukarnoi tradition and from the religious side. Like that was an alliance of convenience, not an ideological alliance. Yeah. Reactionary and xenophobic uh, versus um, meritocratic and um, uh, semi-market friendly. So, I mean, you don't have to read between the lines too much to know where our preferences land. And I, I, I want to be careful about that, but uh, I think, from our conversation, we'll probably have to wrap it up here with things to do, but this is shaping up to be a pretty interesting election. The, the fact that there could be four candidates, possibly, and um, there's some talent. There is talent at the top. Uh, I come away from this optimism semi-renewed um, that uh, Ganjar is going to have a kick at the can, and he will be tested, and it will be a grueling campaign, and I think think, am I wrong? I think that the democratic institutions will come away stronger. What do you think? I think that depends actually on 
Anis Baswedan's poll numbers. Um, I think if Anis starts to do well again, a lot of the interference is going to get turned on. My sense of what's happened over the last year is that the one thing the Djokovic administration does not want and may not countenance is an Anis Baswedan victory. And I think they would go quite far to stop it. So in a situation where Anis starts polling, even polling back into second place and seems likely to get into the runoff, I would worry about the democratic institutions, not because I think Anis will destroy them if he wins, but because the institutions might be destroyed before anyone can win if it looks like Anis could win. Yeah, I think if uh, the government unfairly excludes Baswedan by whatever means from the election, then the election itself, regardless of its outcome, is going to lack legitimacy. And it could go a lot further than that, I think, potentially. All right. Well, on that note, <laughs> thank you, Seth Soderbergh. Good to have you with us. Glad to join you. All the best. going to be a busy year ahead. It will be. It'll be very interesting. And that's the pod. Thanks so much for Seth Soderbergh for joining. Our editing and sound engineering is done by Stephen Handoko. Our music is courtesy of the Blue Dot Sessions. For a free trial of Kevin's Reformacy Weekly Newsletter, go to reformacy.info. If you're listening to us through a podcast app, please hit subscribe and share us on social media. It would be a huge help. As always, you can reach us at hello at onthelevel.id. This podcast is a production of On The Level Media. I'm Jeff Hutton. Bye for now. Thank you.